welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Today, we're talking about the dollars and cents in the healthcare industry. I mean, of course, the hospitals and the like are businesses that have to make money. But I'm going to break the fourth wall here and say that, you know, I've got a surgery coming up. And as I read and prepared for our interview today, I was suddenly very aware that the hospital finance team is looking at me as a number. I mean, how much I'm costing the hospital, you know, taking up a bed, using the hospital's talent and resources, all of those things to recoup. Nobody really wants to think that way, but when you strip things down, it's a push and pull of finance teams needing to do their jobs in keeping the business profitable versus the medical professionals who are doing their job to give patients the very best possible care. Today on Beyond the Numbers, we're talking about accounting for the healthcare industry, specifically bridging the gap between seemingly at-odds departments. My guest is CPA Anna Stevens, director of Weaver's Healthcare Industry Division that provides accounting services to physician practices, ambulatory clinics, acute care hospitals, and post-acute care facilities. Before joining Weaver, Anna worked for three years as a corporate controller for an $80 million post-acute healthcare system. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you're experienced in the nuances of accounting in the healthcare industry and the challenges that they pose for an organization. Uh, From the outside looking in, how evident is this push and pull that I described in the introduction? So I I think it depends on who you're talking about. So whether it's the patient, whether it's the family member of the patient, whether it's the auditor looking at financial statements, whether it's an investor looking at the health of an organization from a financial standpoint. So everybody sees the push and pull from a different perspective, but everybody I think sees it in a, I don't want to use jaded, but kind of a jaded type of look because they don't get to see every aspect of it. Well, so they bring then their own unique perspective to it, but that also clouds kind of how they are interpreting those numbers. Maybe. That's right. So so what is their um, perception, whether it's right or wrong, what is their perception of that, you know, conflict or frustration? You know, maybe you see it evident in the numbers if you're looking at the financial statements, or maybe you see it when the CFO visits the facility and happens to be walking around the hallways when you're the patient sitting in the bed. Right. So from within, though, I mean, there's a lot of professional conflict happening here, right? Conflict's a strong word. Yeah. Um, So I would probably phrase it more in the the fashion of just frustration, uh, primarily from the lack of communication. I think that's what we're going to get into today. But really, you know, is it conflict? Maybe, maybe not. But it certainly is frustration. Yeah. It's frustration on the uh, the clinical side because sure. mm-hmm. they they are, like I said, I mean, they're trying to do their job in taking the very best care for their patients. Right. And the financial team who is trying to do their job and trying to keep things, uh, you know, under control because one patient that, you know, uh, that is vastly expensive and uh, kind of tips the scales, those add up, certainly. Sure. Mm-hmm. So 
What I find interesting is that in your work in this industry, I mean, you've started to look at the reasons why these perception differences exist. But I wonder, I mean, I guess as, as a very entry-level question, why do clinicians and financial teams struggle to work together? So there's a myriad of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so we could spend all day talking about, uh, you know, why they struggle working together. But something that I learned in the profession when I was working in the on the industry side is communication. But But what does that even really mean? So communication, you hear that in every industry, I feel like we need to communicate better. But how do we communicate better if we don't even know how to communicate to the other individual? And so we're talking a lot about this finance side and this clinical side, but I don't even think it really matters whether you're talking about a finance person or a clinical person as to really whether you're talking about a person with a different personality type right. than you have. And so the, but the, what I've learned is that there's oftentimes that gap because there's a different personality type from the finance side and the clinical side. Right. So that I don't want to I don't want us to get into a finance team versus clinical team, but more so a personality yeah. type differentiates oftentimes the two different powerhouses of a healthcare organization. Right. And that's applicable to many different uh, seemingly contrasting teams, right? Mm-hmm. So again I I want to set this context for the discussion because this discussion, I mean setting the, the context for uh, talking about the types of personalities that exist, I mean, that's not something you would typically expect from a C- CPA. So why is evaluating why these teams clash so very important? So I'm not your typical CPA, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> but so so I, I think it's important, and, and I'll, so I want to talk through the different personality types. Yeah. And I've set them up in four different quadrants because I think those kind of cover the different bases for the different personality types that are out there. And then I want to talk about why each of those are important. I mean, it, why they're important is because each personality type is important for a successful organization. It doesn't matter if you're talking about healthcare, or you're talking about any other industry. Each personality type is, is critical for a successful organization. Um, but even more so, it becomes very apparent in the healthcare, organi- healthcare industry because you have something that's very unique from any other industry, and that is you have two verticals in an organization that are that are very important for a successful organization. So, and what I mean by that, so in most industries, the most important thing is to have an effective business structure. So now in the healthcare industry, you have one that's even more important than that, and that's proper and good patient care. Mm-hmm. So that's the most important thing in a healthcare organization, but right underneath that is a good business plan and a good business model. But it is secondary, but so vital and critical because you cannot provide good patient care if you don't have a successful business, right? And so that creates a different level of playing field because now you have two competing, um, you know, what's most important? Well, we know what's most important, but then the secondary nature and secondary piece of it is not always recognized as as important sometimes, and it certainly can uh, create conflict or or frustration. Yeah, I mean, just take it from an outsider's point of view that if, you know, if a family member's, uh, a patient's family member is talking about the hospital, there's a lot of resentment if they're thinking, well, you know, they're just thinking about money. Right, exactly. And 
that's a valid statement in the sense that it's frustrating when that is dictating your loved one's care. Mm-hmm. But it's a, I guess it's it, it's it's a fact that yes, mo, mo, I mean, unless you're running a nonprofit, even then, that's still you know very important. It, there's going to be about money. Right. So so let me let's get into these different personality types and I think it'll become more clear why yeah. this is really important. So so again I've talked about the four quadrants. So you have I'll start with the first one which is extrovert introvert and everybody usually is like oh gosh I have that, you know, I know if I'm an extrovert and introvert. But what I would challenge you as you're listening to this to really unpack and understand and stop and think about whether you're truly an extrovert or an introvert. And so an extrovert tends to be overtly expressive, you know, they're a people person, where an introvert is usually more shy and, you know, you know, reserved. But if anybody knows me, anybody that knows me, they would say she's an extrovert. She could talk to the wall. But what I think is very uh, interesting, as I was trying to assess myself, I said, am I an extrovert or an introvert? And I, and I went to, what do I go to when I'm stressed out and I am at my wit's end? And ultimately, at the end of the day, what recharges me? And when I am stressed out and at my wit's end, I need to close my door and I need to focus and I need to decide where, where is everything on my list of things to do and where am I at and how do I get my life back in focus? I do not recharge by going and hanging out with a bunch of friends and family. That is very stressful to me. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. And so the reason that's important is that these communication breakdowns happen when you're stressed out and you're at your wit's end, right? When everybody's doing well, communication tends to flow a little bit easier. But when you're stressed out and at you know, your wit's end, I need to close my door and I need to refocus, whereas the extrovert says, let's get us all in a room and let's hash it out and let's talk about it. And now we have two different types of communication and we have a breakdown in communication. So that's why it's important. So I I use that example with the extrovert introvert because I would challenge you to actually stop and say, what am I? And it is actually really important when you're trying to then communicate in those stressful situations. Right. Because when you're in a better uh, headspace, you are probably more fluid with your communication styles. Um, And even with the introvert extrovert, um, you're willing to maybe put up with more of those meetings, those big meetings where, okay, well, let's all just talk it out. When in actuality, you're you're sitting there thinking like, okay, well, I, yes, I'm hearing you, but I need to like digest this right. by myself. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then the second quadrant is the sensing and intuitive. And so sensing is just that. You're using your, your five senses to gather information. You know, whether you see it, you hear it, you can touch it. And then your intuition or intuitive is... is using your intuition, right? And so I don't think that that necessarily divides the playing field all that much. Uh, I think about myself as a parent and, you know, no matter what I can see, if my gut says it's not the right thing to do for my son, I'm not going to let him do it. And so I think that's kind of across the playing field, you know, people tend to go with their intuition. Um, But there is, there's certainly some, you know, differences, whether you're going to only rely on the information you can you can gather with your five senses or if you're going to use your intuition and kind of add some information that you necessarily can't see. So the third one is this thinking and feeling. And by and large, this is the one that divides the playing field. This one is the one where you were talking about earlier, you know, the frustration the patient might see whenever they are looked at as a number. And this is where that that breakdown happens. It's this whole thinking and feeling, right? So the finance side or whoever is on the thinking side 
they want to think and have a logical, consistent, this is what the trends have showed, this is what you know, logic says should happen. And feeling is an emotional state. And we're gonna get in there and feel what the patient feels. We're gonna get in there and feel what the family feels. We're gonna become a part of the situation, the facts and circumstances, versus this is what trends have said, this is what you know, we think will happen. And so there's that, diff the, it's very different outlooks. And the best example I can give you is, you know, on the thinking side, the patient walks in and they have Blue Cross Blue Shield with a high deductible and they are a, you know, young family. The trends show that the ability for them to pay that high deductible is very low. So the finance makes an assumption as to whether that's going to be paid based upon the trends and the history that has been provided for the organization versus the whoever's providing the clinical care says, I could care less what their health insurance is. This is a young family that needs help and needs care, and neither one is wrong. They're both right for what they've been asked to do and what their job responsibility is, right? So the, the finance team and the accounting team have been tasked with the, with the job to forecast and look back and, and provide the numbers for the organization, and they see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of numbers related to all these patients, they can't possibly get in the moment for each patient, patient and be successful at their job. It's not possible. And so, but then let's flip that over to the, the provider side, and they've been tasked with providing good patient care, and they have to get in the moment. So you have a job that's been given to two people that are very important to the organization, that have different personality types that are almost entirely different. And it creates this frustration when you're communicating with each other. I'll give an example that, that I had when I worked on the other side at the organization. And I was on a discharge call, first discharge call I'd been on. We get for the organization and we get the the discharge information ahead of time as to who discharged in the last week, who's coming up to discharge, so on and so forth. And I didn't really care, and it's not that I didn't care, but it wasn't necessary for my job to know the patient's name. Right. So I looked at patient 123 and noticed that they discharged after the Medicare average length of stay, but prior to the high-cost outlier. So they were in this window of no pay days for the organization so that we were providing free care. So I was talking on the call and the first thing out of my mouth was I noticed patient 123 discharged after the Medicare average length of stay but prior to the high cost outlier what happened? So the clinical team immediately shut down and all they thought about was Anna cares about the numbers. And that's absolutely not the truth. I cared about, did we as an organization as a whole, from the finance team, from the case management team, from the nursing team, from the patient's family, did we provide the best possible care to the patient and discharge them appropriately? I mean, Medicare sets an average length of stay for a reason, because patients on average stay this many days for this type of diagnosis. So it wasn't that I cared necessarily about the fact that we were in no pay days. Entirely, I cared about did we do the right thing for the patient, but all the clinical team heard was 
bunch of financial terms that I had mentioned in my question, and they shut down. And so there was certainly no effective or efficient dialogue after that. And so I was like, well, okay. So the next time I get on the uh, discharge call, I led with, talk to me about patient Joe Bob and explain to me what happened. And so from that, letting them tell me the situation and get in the moment with them about what happened with that patient, I was able to glean, did we as an organization, from the case management team to the finance team to whoever is involved in this patient, did we provide them and do the right thing for them and provide them the best possible patient care? And so I got my answer, but I did not have to, you know, go through the whole financial terms that, one, quite frankly, they understand but don't care about and shouldn't because that's not the, their job responsibility. And it probably uh, put them a little bit on the defensive because, Certainly. you know, what happened? What did you not do that caused them to stay in the hospital longer? Uh, you know, were you not as efficient as you should have been? Uh, so, yeah, so when you are starting from that place, you're right, it's impossible to get a good dialogue going. Mm -hmm. So you were able to recognize um, – pretty immediately then that you needed to adjust your approach to gleaning that information from the clinical team. That's right. I mean, it's it's such a gap that it's really quickly identified that if you want to work cohesively between each other, you have to understand that this is literally is two different types of people um, in the room. And, and it has to be to effectively do your job. Um, financial people have this intrinsic nature of being very logical and consistent, and it's very necessary to do their job appropriately. And the provider side, which kind of goes into our fourth quadrant of judging and perception, live in a world of ever-changing information, right? So judging is more of, I'm going to make a decision based upon the facts that I have. I'm going to make a definitive decision because I have definitive information in front of me. And perception is more of this is what I perceive is going to happen. So I'm going to make a, de a decision based upon what I think is going to happen in the future. And that could change every second. And the clinical provider care team lives in that ever-changing second-by-second world. You know, they thought this was going to work for the patient. It didn't. They have to change their drugs. The ER is quiet, dead, the next minute it's blowing up because they have 15 people that were in a massive car accident, you know? So it, it's just a constant, ever-changing environment. And that's very challenging to, when you're communicating with somebody that's used to very definitive data sets. So the finance team, we're responsible for providing historical financial statements and looking at trend analysis of history data points, right? So everything that we're presenting is definitive and has a defined set of data and we can give you a answer that this is the the answer and i prided myself and when i sent out financial statements that if they you know that they were the way things were and if they changed i took that very personal it's like you know the past didn't change the information i was given wasn't holistic so now i need to go back and figure out how i gathered the right data but the past is the past and it can't change, right? So, but the clinical team and the, the care team, their world is changing. So when they make a decision, it's based upon the best piece of information they have at any given point with the caveat in their mind of 
this could change any second. So when they're giving an answer, their answer is the best information they have at that point, but knowing all the while that it could change and I'm okay with that and that doesn't bother me. Right, and I think that's the difference there is that a judging person uh, is unnerved when things change or situations change or the data set, I guess, changes, so to speak, um, and they're very fluid, where the the perceptive person is almost more comfortable in that kind of fluid state that they're making the best decision they can at that moment, but they understand that it's it's not a permanent, I mean, it's things are going to change. And That's so right. if they get more information, that may shift or... Um, or may confirm the original decision they made. Right. So yeah, so I can see where those are two very, um, very divisive uh, personality traits, like you said, is with the same as uh, thinking and feeling. Yeah. So so those two quadrants, I think, are by and large where the where the gap starts and really begins to accentuate, and and it really goes down to communication within those you know, scenarios, right? So when I was talking about the thinking and feeling, I mean, it was not that my question was wrong. It was the the way that I communicated it to someone with a different personality type in a different world. And my question was the same, right? I mean, I asked for the same type of information and got the information that I wanted, but the question was just phrased a little differently. So um, I guess looking at this from an organizational standpoint, uh, when you do have two teams that do clash uh, simply because of um, what makes them good at their job are their personality traits, and these personality traits differ from team to team. Um, why is it so important then for an organization to recognize these differences and and kind of do something about that for its entire organization health? Sure. So I think we touched on it earlier just a little bit, but it's it's really important because they're two powerhouses of this organization, right? So you have the most important thing, which is the good patient care, and then you have the, the business aspect of it, right? And so if quality patient care falters, you have no healthcare organization, but quite frankly, if the business aspect of it falters, you have no healthcare organization. So if either one of them falters, the whole thing is you know, ineffective and inefficient. So making sure that the organization as a whole understands that, that the finance team is not, you know, against the clinical team and the clinical team is not against the finance team. We're all one cohesive piece of an organization. And if we can work like that and function as one cohesive moving unit, then who wins? The patient wins, right? But it's whenever we start you know, have a cl clinical team and we have the finance team and they feel like all the, the finance team cares about is the numbers and the finance team feels like all the clinical team cares about is, you know, wasting time or taking extra time with the patient. No one wins. We, we all lose. And, and ultimately the patient loses, which is, which is the worst possible case scenario. So as long as we can work as one cohesive moving unit, then ultimately who do we want to win? The patient and the patient wins. So recognizing that organization, organizations need to support better communication and recognizing that the individual teams should um, understand each other's differences. 
what are some some practical or organizational ways to help implement better communication? So I'm going to give you a couple examples that worked in the organization for me. Mm -hmm. There are tons of areas that that this could work for an organization. And quite honestly, maybe, you know, these areas are great for, for you if you're listening. But hopefully you can take some of this and maybe it'll spark an idea of where that's weak in your organization and where you can take some of these examples and maybe bolster up that communication for whoever the teams are that's and and it could again it could be two clinicians or two care team people that are struggling to communicate because they're just two different personality types or it could be two financial people that you know and it's not necessarily finance and your clinical team are at odds but it's two different personality types within the same team or just at odds and so Maybe you can take some of this back and say, okay, well, let's, you know, work on that communication. So a couple of examples. The first one was the budget meetings. So I started the organization in November. The budgets had already been set. And I was tasked with having budget meetings with the department heads in the following fiscal year. So January came around, and we produced financial statements and I met with one of the department heads in January and we discussed the budget variances. And I asked them, I said, so why are we you know, off from budget? And their answer was like, I don't even know what went into that number. And I said, well, I don't know what went into that number either. So we're kind of at an impasse here. And so after 10 you know, meetings of nobody knew what was happening, I said, I absolutely will not let that happen again. And fortunately for me, I was in charge of setting, you know, helping set the budgets in, for the following fiscal year. So in October, when we were working on them, I said, what can I do that, that this frustration doesn't happen again? And it wasn't just the locations that were frustrated. I was frustrated because I couldn't even help them. Like we, you know, couldn't even get to an understanding that would ease their frustration or my frustration. It was just a very frustrating monthly call. Right. And so... When, when October rolled around and we were setting budgets, I said, you know, I'm going to go meet with them face-to-face. And so let's go back to where earlier where I talked about the extrovert-introvert. An extrovert is a people person, right? So a lot of your clinical care team are very people person. That's why they got into the business. They deal with people all the time, day in, day out. And so I said, well, at least let's start with meeting face-to-face. So I went and met with them, and immediately walls started falling. They're like, if she's willing to come out of her office, her corporate office, and sit in front of me across from a desk in the location where the care is being provided, maybe we can talk. Maybe we can get on the same page. And then there, I let them own the budget in their aspect, in so much as they know way better than I do what they need to provide quality patient care, right? I know a number, and I know how much we have allotted to be a successful business for your department, but you tell me care provider, what you need to provide good quality care. And I'll tell you, well, this is the dollars. And if you're outside of that, then you tell me what's the most important thing. Where can we prioritize? Where can we cut? Because you know how to properly care for the patient much better than I do. And so then when those budget meetings and discussions were had next month, it wasn't, well, I don't know what went into this number. It was we both knew what went into the number. And they could say, this is my budget. I've taken ownership of it. I've helped build it. And then they can discuss why they were outside of it. Maybe case mix index was high, so supplies were high. Or, 
you know, maybe patients were down, but we didn't want to cut our nursing staff because we would lose our nurses and we knew we were going to have a big, big influx of patients next month. So whatever the case may be, they could actually talk to their budget and felt like they owned it more. And I, I was, I mean, it was largely successful for the, for the organization. What I will caution though, so I was like, gosh, that was a big win. Right. So the next October, I said, well, I'm going to help them own it more. I'm going to send them the budget template and let them fill it in. Don't ever do that. <laughs> that was a big fail. I mean, you're literally asking somebody that provides care to patients to fill out this voluminous form that did not work. Um, so we went back to face-to-face -to -face Were meetings. there question marks in the uh, Absolutely. <laughs> what question marks where the numbers should go and then formulas don't work and you're like, what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was, there's always something to learn. It was a great learning experience. Some things work. Don't, don't expect them to do things that are outside of their job description. Just like, it would be like expecting me to care for a patient. That would not be successful. Right. Um, and then the second area that uh, we saw a lot of improvement was monthly meetings. And so, we had monthly leadership meetings where the CEOs of the individual locations would meet with the leadership team and they would discuss uh, a myriad of things from quality metrics to, you know, things that were going on in the individual location, legal Im uh, implications to the financial statements for the prior month. And so the president got extremely frustrated with how those meetings were going for the financial section of the meeting because the CEOs could never speak or speak knowledgeably to their financial statements. And so she had even toyed with the idea of cutting that whole section out. And so obviously the CFO said, we cannot do that. I mean, this financial statements is a huge piece of leadership. So she said, well, in, until this is effective, we, we need to do something. So we, the, the finance team we met and we said, how can we make these meetings, the financial statement piece of these meetings effective. And so we decided to do pre-meetings with the CEO. And I would, I would initiate a call prior to the leadership meeting with the CEO, and we would go through the important, and I reiterate, important mm -hmm. to them line items of the financial statements. Depreciation expense, amortization expense is completely irrelevant to the CEO of the location. Uh, they cannot do anything about it. They don't Quite frankly, it's an accounting terminology, and there's nothing you can do about it. So let's focus then on revenue. Let's focus on supplies. Let's focus on drugs. Let's focus on things that they can change, and then they can understand and tell you what happened in those areas. So if they need to repeat that because they did great, they know what they did to repeat. Or if they need to not do something and change because it didn't work out so well, they know where to change. And so then when they have the leadership meeting, they go and have their leadership meeting with the president and the CFO and the COO, they can then say, I'm going to repeat XYZ because it worked in these areas, or I'm going to change XYZ because it didn't work. And then it's actually a knowledgeable, effective conversation. And we're not wasting people's time because no one likes to have meetings just to have meetings. Right. So. Right. Well, fantastic stuff, Anna. Really knowledgeable information, not just for uh, this example with clinical teams and financial teams, but really any organization that has two very uh, competing, if you will, uh, departments. So 
Anna, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.